Hey guys, no intro today because I am in a motel, as you can probably see or hear. I'm wearing one of those crazy gamer headsets, and uh, Mitch was also having some technical difficulties, so we're both kind of in a weird spot today, but... We have DSLR Film new podcast for you today. Mitch, what have you been up to, man? Hey, DJ. Great to be here. I'm excited to see your hotel room there. It looks awesome. Uh, I have been busy preparing for this thing called NAB. Ever heard of it? Oh, it's yeah. uh, that's right around the corner next week, <laughs> isn't it? I uh, Yeah. I'm so lost in yeah, my I own shuffle something. that I forgot that I NAB know. is coming. Yeah, this crazy thing called the NAB is coming up this coming Monday. So lots of excitements have are lots of excitements. Announcements have already come out. Uh, we're trying to find all of them and get them covered for you guys. And of course, we're going to talk more about that later. Well, let's go ahead and jump into the news because my situation is not exciting. If you like hotels, <laughs> that's where I'm at. Long term stay. I'm lucky I have a small kitchenette next to me. So, whoa. There you go. Anyway, um, on down the line here, the first thing that's pretty interesting and fairly exciting, and we've heard rumors about this for quite a while, the Canon C or XC10. Uh, this small little camera is going to set you back about 2400 bucks. Mitch, you know a lot about this, and you've been kind of been looking into it and following all the trends. It looks like this is a fixed-lens <laughs> camera. Weren't we talking earlier about this possibly being an interchangeable lens camera? Yes, we were, as a matter of fact. We we really hoped it was going to be. The early announcements, quote-unquote, from China, the people that were there posting about it and showed us the photos said that they told us that it was going to have a PL mount and an EF mount. Well, lo and behold, when it finally gets announced by Canon this past week, bing, it's a fixed lens. And so... That really uh, kind of irritated a lot of people, at least in the filmmaking community. Now, one of the things that you have to be aware of, and I've, I've said this uh, already on a couple of different podcasts and things I've been invited to, is that if you're pissed off about this camera, you are obviously not the target market. Uh, Canon has released this camera. It's, it's actually a hybrid because it not only does stills and video, but it does stills in video. That's what I really meant. It's a hybrid <laughs> <camera>. <laughs> My little and got thrown in there kind of wrong. But so it does take stills. Uh, it does 12 megapixel stills as well as 4K video. The thing that pisses most of the people off is that fixed lens. And it's got a 10 times zoom on it. And it's, it's really looking to be a fairly interesting camera. But for our filmmakers, it's not the right target market, right? It's got a one-inch sensor, so it's smaller than the APS-C, obviously smaller than a, a full-frame camera. So you're not going to get the incredible depth of field. I mean, basically, this is a prosumer or a news professional, maybe. I've seen uh, reports. I was looking at uh, DP Review and Engadget, and they're kind of excited about it because it gives them a really small form factor to be able to take a camera to take stills and video. Uh, they don't have to worry about multiple lenses. Uh, Canon says that it's lighter than a DSLR. Now, I don't know how light the lens itself is. Uh, and so there are people that are excited about it, especially like in the news community. And the last group of people that are apparently excited about it are people who fly drones. And apparently, 
you obviously are going to have to have a larger drone in order to be able to lift this. But if it's lighter than a DSLR, it could be very appealing to the drone market. So there are a lot of people who are excited about it and a lot of people who think that Canon has really missed the boat. My point to those people, if you were looking for a GH4 competitor, this is not it. Obviously, this is not what they would release. And of course, this is a video camera. Let's remember that NAB is a video-centric <laughs> conference. And so they're, Canon's not going to release a GH4 competitor, for example, at a video-centric conference. They're going to release it later on when they release their normal DSLR stuff. Well, I'm so looking at the X-10 right now, Mitch, and you're you're talking about video cameras. And if you think about this in terms of Canon's old video line, they had the 300 right. series and they had the 100 series. And those were two-thirds inch sensor cameras, and they had a super zoom on them. And where did they get used? Well, they got used a lot at sporting events, news coverage. They got used for very indie projects with lens adapters and so on, and various other things. This looks like it's an evolution of those cameras at a cheaper price, because I believe when the 300 series came out, that was a uh, $3,000, maybe $4,000 camera. And I'm not talking right. about the 300 series you know, the new Canon uh, C300. I'm talking about the right. original 300 series with a fixed lens and a two-third inch sensor. This has a one-inch sensor, so you're getting a little bit better depth of field out of it. It has a very good zoom, and it's using, it looks like a, a somewhat new Kodak up to 305 megs per second in 4K mode. So you might get better resolution out of this than you do out of something like the uh, GH4. But the question here is, does this shoot raw for your stills or does it just shoot JPEG? Because when I was watching that video, they said beginner, just starting out, beginner, beginner, just starting out uh, a number of times in the Canon promo video. So even though this feels like a good tool for news people, it seems like they're kind of saying, well, $2,400, you don't have to buy a lens. You don't have to buy a 5D Mark III or you know a GH4 and a bunch of stuff. So this is the alternative method. Right. It's and it's and it's kind of a low end kind of thing, right? Most most uh news pros are shooting with DSLRs and they have a variety of lenses already. Uh so you know it's it's kind of more of a startup thing or like you said, an event thing, uh a sporting event maybe. And the answer to your question is no, it does not do raw uh still Dang it only it. does JPEGs. But if you look at some of the people, for example, I was just reading an article the other day about one of the guys who shoots like the Olympics. I mean, he shoots pro level uh, stills and he shoots JPEGs. He doesn't want to slow himself down with shooting raw images. And in order to get the images quickly out, they don't want to do a version. I mean, it, but it slows the process down. If you're comparing a, you know, a 23 megapixel uh a uh, raw image versus a much smaller JPEG, for example, you can do a lot more work. And so most of those pros maybe are already shooting JPEGs and they don't care about raw. Now, so, what is the uh, low light level capabilities for this guy? Because I'm seeing 100 to 20,000 ISO. Uh, is this one inch sensor any good in kind of that more live event, bad light coverage sort of area? <laughs> that's a Dang good question, because I've been shooting in a lot of high school gymnasiums lately, and the lighting sucks. I can't wait for somebody to start upgrading some of these gyms. 
I don't know. We'll obviously have to test it out to see. Uh, typically, the higher size, the larger sized sensors tend to have better low light capabilities, but uh, Canon's obviously been working on this. Uh, they they think there's a market for it. I mean, it again, I, I've, I've seen a lot of complaining on Planet 5D, for example, about this camera. And I'm like, it, you guys are not the target market. Maybe I shouldn't have even posted anything. Uh, most of the readers tend to say that's not a camera that appeals to them. I'm like, yes, it doesn't appeal to you, but it's you're not the market. So people tend to think that it's just, oh, it's a 4K video camera, so it must be for me, right? And it's not. It's not targeted at most of you people. So, uh, But it is a com good conversation, and uh, we should talk about the uh, – and I, I am not a codec guy. Uh, they Canon also announced this new XF-AVC codec. Yeah. Um, and they're labeling Q it as an MFX uh, H.264 right. wrapped uh, a codec. And I know they've used some sort of like um, Canon proprietary, and I believe it was labeled MFX, in their previous just uh, video cameras, their higher-end level ones from the last generation. So maybe the, is that the same thing that they're using in this? I, I I apologize. I don't know all of the technical details, and and I'm not a codec guy. But they they have said in the press release, for example, that this new quote unquote new wrapper uh, is going to do a lot better job of taking that 4K video and compressing it so that it looks great. Uh, maybe especially when you compress it down to 1080, for example. Uh, but it's obviously not H.265, which is when when Hugh wrote the article for us at Planet 5D, he was asking whether it was competitor for H.265. It's obviously not that, but there's there's certainly a lot of things that are going to come out at NAB. I've been looking at a couple of press releases about H.265 and up-res capabilities. Uh, very impressed by a press release that came out, and since I had to reboot my machine, I've lost it. It's not here right now, but... Maybe I can find that later. There are companies that are doing up-reses, up-resing of 1080 up to 4K. You know, you and I have talked a lot about that in the past, about, you know, what where's the content going to come from or come for 4K usage? And maybe what's going to happen is that we're going to end up seeing a lot of up-resing going on and people will still deliver content maybe in 1080 and have the hardware on the user consumer side that does the upresing, and therefore we don't have to build bigger pipes and we'll still get 4K out there faster than we would if we had to rebuild the whole infrastructure. Well, we're kind of running into an issue anyway with 4K because right now a lot of the special effects pipelines are 2K and they're not actually using, even if they're capturing in 4K or 6K, they're not doing any of their post-processing in 4K because it's just too CPU intensive. They can't handle all of the CGI effects that they're adding to feature-length films these days at that resolution. And so upresing is sort of an option for the people who can't afford that sort of effects pipeline. And I know I can't, and most other people can't as well, even all the way up to uh, full-fledged, fully funded feature-length films that are winning awards left and right. Those guys are still in the 2K mode and not working their way up to 4K yet. So 
you're a little bit bigger than 1080p, you scale up, you add some post-processing. And I've actually seen some of the up-res stuff that's available and watched it in 4K, and it looks pretty good. I mean, I don't know what secret magic they're doing in the background to add pixels or whatever, but you're watching it on your couch from 10 feet away, you're probably going to be happy with what you're getting out of that. Exactly. And I think I think that's that's really the key in much of this that's coming down the pipe. And we're certainly going to be looking at that at NEB uh, next week. But with the infrastructure we have now, we've got to have some other tools and things like H.265 and, and these upraised capabilities. Shoving more stuff down the current pipes we have is going to be the quick and easy answer. Uh, most people aren't going to even notice the difference. Now, moving on to something you would actually need to work on 4K footage, I've got the Intel 750 PCIe SSD. This guy is capable of 2.6 gig per second reads. That's 2.6 gig. In the past, when you're talking about SSDs, you're talking about megs, like 600 megs, 500 megs, or limits of SATA3 or SATA6, excuse me. This guy is really fast, and it bypasses the normal SATA lanes and goes straight to your PCIe slot. And it is available for $400, which is about a dollar a gig in the 400 gig model, or $800 for the 1.2 terabyte model. Basically, this is the fastest consumer-grade SSD you can get on the market for reads and writes. If you're working on 4K footage, this thing is probably where you're going to go if you have four, five, six streams in your timeline. Mitch, have you moved to SSDs completely, or do you have you gotten any into your kit yet? I know we've talked about them before, but uh, you were you weren't sure if you wanted one or not. I have in my new iMac. I have the Fusion Drive, which is the hybrid of an SSD with 125 gigs, I think, uh, and the rest of it is all physical hard drive. Uh, so that works really well for what I'm doing on my on my iMac, especially if you've got a lot of uh, extra RAM. Yeah. My laptop is actually a 125 gigabyte uh, MacBook Pro 10, uh, 15. And I've had that for about four years. And I tell you, I won't switch. I won't go back to a f totally hard drive existence on my computers because... They're just blazing fast, especially since my laptop only has four gigabytes of RAM. And yeah. why I did that, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but even, even you know, because I know, you know, RAM's critical to making anything work. But even when I have several applications open and I'm monitoring how much RAM is in use and it's, it's like crazy, it's all busy, because it's all SSD-based, uh, the swapping when I switch from one app to another is not very tedious, much better than when I was using a, a hard drive based laptop. So, yes, I love SSDs in that regard. I have not changed all of my external drives to be SSDs because they're still pretty dang expensive. But I won't go back to an internal hard drive on a computer ever again. That's for sure. Well, for those of you, and I'm not going to spend too much time on this, the uh, Intel 750 PCIe SSD, there's a great article over at PCPer.com. Check that out. There's links to that in the show note. But uh, if you have Windows 8.1 or higher, uh, this does allow you to boot directly from your PCIe slot. So you don't have to worry about that whole incompatibility thing or loading drivers ahead of time. This thing is 
by far the fastest. You pay a dollar a gig versus, I believe, 30 cents a gig for most other drives. So it's something to consider if you want all the speed in the world. Uh, otherwise, you know, you might want to wait. As Mitch said, the prices are dropping. Uh, they're still pretty expendy for most SSDs. This is one of the most spendy consumer-grade SSDs. But uh, keep an eye out because I'm sure this will force competitors to drop the price lower. On to other wacky stuff. We've got the Nikon 1J5 mirrorless camera. This is a 4K capable, uh, basically sort of micro four thirds-esque one inch sensor. Looks like it's using the Sony sensor from the FDR AX100. The crazy thing about this is, first of all, it shoots 4K, but it only shoots 4K at 14.99 frames per second, which... What? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what are they thinking? I don't know. Why even have 4K? This is like the Hero 3 Black Edition where you're like, oh, well, great. And I have 4K, but it's only 12 or 15 frames per second. Sweet. What am I going to do with that? The other right. weird thing about this guy is that it shoots 20 frames per second in stills mode. So that part is actually fairly compelling. What? Imagine, <laughs> imagine following That's a skateboarder around and just, you know, <laughs> I don't know. That's it's uh, it's blowing my mind here. You can pick this guy up for 500 bucks. Mitch, what do you think about this? This is a different lens mount than Nikon's normal mounts. It's called the Nikon one. And they do have an adapter that goes to the full fledged Nikkor mount lenses. But there's a surprising number of lenses available for this particular mount. It's not micro four thirds. It's a special Nikon thing. Would you invest 500 bucks plus lenses on this guy? Well, you know what my answer is going to be. <laughs> it's going to be no. I'm guessing no. 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 I mean, but I'm not the target market. Again, it's really critical to realize what the target market of something like this is. There are lots of people that are using smaller cameras that are going to eat this up. Uh, you know, it's it's bigger than a compact. It's not as big as a DSLR. It's it's probably even smaller than a quote-unquote mirrorless, right? So, yeah. you know, it will appeal to a certain segment of the market. And Canon and Nikon are obviously now looking at other markets with the compact camera market kind of crushing due to the iPhones and smartphones and all those kind of different usages of the smarter technology. Uh, they got to find a way to sell cameras somehow. And this looks like a particular camera for a particular market. Obviously, the 14 and a half, 14, 15 frames per second is not going to float anybody's boat for the 4K side. It's not that much lower than 24. If you think about it a little bit, maybe there can be some interpolation there or some uprezzing going on. <laughs> uh, but it's certainly not going to probably look as good as you would like it to. So 4K, nobody's going to shoot. But there are people shooting 4K with the GoPros, right? Well, yeah, but the new GoPros are capable of shooting 4K at 30 frames and 24 frames per second. Uh, the, yeah. But the old one, you know, basically it had the 2.6K mode and the 4K mode. And the 2.6K was able to do regular frame rates, and the 4K wasn't. So for the most part, no one really used that, even though it was available. It was one of those things where they could put 4K on the on the label of the packaging. But in reality, you know, what does 14 frames per second get you? 
On the other side, though, the Nikon 1J5, uh, this is the fifth version. They started with the J1, has slowly been creeping up in the market and getting better specs. And if you want to get super telephoto, they have for $996 the Nikon 1 70 to 300 lens. And with the crop factor available with this particular body, that it works out to about 189 to 810 millimeter, 35 millimeter equivalent. So imagine shooting 20 frames per second at 810 millimeters. You know, you could be shooting wildlife, birds, things across the bay, spying on cheating husbands, whatever you want. <laughs> this is this is pretty cool. I'm not well, going to buy it, it but it. man. Did you I I missed this the first time I read this story because I was skimming. I confess I was skimming. After the first autofocus shot, the camera will shoot in a blazing 60 frames per second. Yes, yes. A speed not even a DSLR camera can match. Well, yeah, and the, the what the first frame it takes 20 frame uh, uh slows down the frame shot to focus the system and then it speeds right? up to 60. But that's the, insane. The 60, I don't know. I kind of want to see it because with buffering and everything else, can you really go 60 frames in a camera like this before you run out of uh, buffer yeah, and you can't yeah, write it anymore? Say how many frames you can get, does it? Exactly. So if <laughs> so it's, you can only shoot one second, who cares? Yeah, that's the thing. Because with like the even the 70 Mark II, what is it? I think it runs out at about 190 frames at burst right. mode, and that's 11 frames per second. So this guy, it's a 20 megapixel sensor. Surely it can't outpace the 7D in buffer overwrite. Uh, maybe it can. So one second, if you're lucky, maybe uh, half a second or three quarters of a second. But still, that's pretty cool. I mean, I don't know. You could do stop motion type stuff with that. You could do capture. You can make the right. best animated GIFs in the world. You know? <laughs> yeah. I don't awesome. know. Uh, anyway, Nikon's made a pretty sexy package. If you're looking for that sort of uh, old school rangefinder look, the camera is pretty interesting. And $500 for a nice sort of in between the range of micro four thirds and point and shoot is a one inch sensor. It's something to check out. I'm probably not going to invest in it, but I do kind of want to play with it. Maybe I'll rent one of these with uh, some of the crazy zooms that they have available for it and see how it works out. Now, speaking of crazy cameras, we're going from $500 to $1,600 with a Canon 300 or C300 Mark II. Time, time, time out. Oh. Time out. You said it's $1,600. I am completely wrong. It's not $1,600. This is a very pricey camera. Now, before we get into the specs and stuff, one of the things I want to say, because I've heard a lot of people, first thing out of their mouth is, this is way too expensive. And... I think you need to get some perspective on pricing for cameras because imagine a red package about uh, four years ago or five years ago when the red one and the, the next generation were available. By the time you got it suited out with batteries, kit, lenses, and everything else, you're talking about thirty to $40,000. 16000 is the base and people have already collected a bunch of stills lenses that work with this camera. So when you think about 16000 by the time you kit this out with enough lenses to really be dangerous and a couple of batteries, you're maybe talking 21000 So if we go forward from pricing about four or five years ago to today, you're actually sitting more in the range of half the price of those previous cameras. 
And if you look at the Airy Mini, what is that? 32,000? 38,000? So this is half the price of the Mini. And I'm not going to say it's the exact same specs, but Canon's finally up the frame rate on this, 120 frames per second. That's nice. You know, they've added 4K internal recording, no external recording boxes. That's nice. It's got incredible low light performance. I mean, that's more than nice. That's freaking awesome. Uh, you know, so what do you think, Mitch? You, you've got more info on this than I do. I see you posted a bunch of specs and stuff down here. What do you think about this guy? I am, I'm impressed. But the first thing to note, and there is obviously some debate here, uh, the Canon press release that came out two days ago, as well as I got a press release today that was a summary kind of thing. Both of those press releases say the price will be around $20,000. Oh. Now, the $16,000 price is what is on B&H. If you go over there to pre-order it, they're quoting a price of $15,999999, whatever that is. So I'm still confused about what the actual pricing is going to be. Now, $20,000 is too high. $15,000, is about okay based on what Canon has done before. What would have been really incredible is if they would have done it at twelve to 14,000, people would have really dropped their socks and gone, that's cool. Now, you know, we're talking about Canon here. I understand they're not going to do that kind of pricing, but so I'm still not totally sure whether it's going to be 20K or 16K. Uh, you would think that B&H would know the right price, but I don't know. They're also on Passover break, so I don't know. Maybe they messed up. Um, now, on that note, a lot of excitement. What? Go. On that note for pricing, did you notice how far the original C300 fell in price in the last what three weeks? It's down to right. five ninety nine or five thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars, I believe, or six thousand and twenty dollars, something like that. So it's dropped from what it was, this price, all the way down to half, or less than half. Now, when we see the C300 Mark III, maybe this will fall in half, and then it'll be affordable for everybody. That's wishful thinking, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you are, you are wishful thinking. And, the, and the, the problem there, and I have to tread lightly... <laughs> Uh, but is Canon's manufactured suggested pricing, your MAP or whatever their right acronym is, uh, because they have put a lot of pressure on places like B&H and Adorama to hold the pricing. So if Canon says it's going to be $20,000, I'm really surprised that Adorama and those guys are putting a $16,000 price tag out there. What had what those guys are doing, B and H, and because they're not able to compete on price, is what they'd start doing is making bundles where you can buy the body and a spare lens and a tripod and black, you know, all these other things to try to get you to perceive the price as being lower because they're going to throw in all of those additions. Uh, but it is very curious that at how low these prices have gone on the version one products it's pretty astounding yeah the c or the c100 is now like the go-to for starting and then you go to the c100 mark ii now they have the c300 do you think they'll be coming out with a c500 mark ii anytime soon there is a rumor i've seen about that coming out at nab but i'm really surprised that they didn't just go ahead and announce it at the same time they announced the XC10 and the C 
300 Mark II. So I don't know. It's kind of weird because this camera basically throws the C500 under the bus. You know, right. it's got better specs than the C500. It's uh, all around a nicer looking camera. So then that kind of means that they either have to do something in their higher end line or this becomes the flagship and the C500 kind of just goes away. Exactly. Uh, well, it's very see. curious. Yeah. It does have some awesome specs, though, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm rolling through here right now and looking at these uh, 410 megabits per second in 4K mode. So they must be using some kind of uh, newer Kodak for that. 422 internal recording at both uh, UHD as well as uh, Ultra HD. Uh, let's see. They've got, uh, oh, man. Yeah, the frame rate, that's really nice. 4K RAW for an external recorder. I mean... That's not real exciting. That's kind of what was available in the C500 previously. 15 stops right. of dynamic range. Uh, Canon Log 2. That's good. That Everybody wants more dynamic range. Um, not super excited about the the dual pixel CMOS AF autofocus <laughs> system. And I don't... Well... That's weird. Okay, so for those of you not familiar with it, basically Canon skins a layer over the top of their sensor and uses that for contrast detection in AF mode so that you can have on-the-fly autofocus. If you're buying a camera that's $16,000, are you going to have autofocus turned on? I mean, that seems yes. like... Yes. You think so? Now, look, you would dual be... pixel is... Dual pixel, I mean, you may think of it as contrast-based, but is really... I mean, each pixel has its own ability to, you know... An, I'm no good at explaining it. You need a you need to talk to uh, Chuck Westfall to really understand the details. But uh, if you compare it to traditional contrast based uh, film camcorders and stuff, much better focusing capabilities. The 70D, for example, is is pretty dang good at it. Uh, several people I know that are doing the C100 that added the dual pixel technology. Uh, are really impressed with the way that works. Now, Canon has said in the press release, and of course, we've got to talk to them at NAB next week, that they have upped the dual pixel technology in this camera, uh, that it's going to improve the face detection capabilities and the tracking of somebody walking through a frame or whatever. Mm -hmm. They also have said that it's customizable so that you can decide how fast the tracking is if somebody's I mean, the, the complaint has always been hunting. Okay. If, if, yeah. If, if I'm in focus and somebody walks behind me, then the sensor kind of goes, Oh, look, there's something new and tracks that. Well, they claim that they've now got this additional capabilities where you can say, ignore other fast tracking objects. Just take the one that you're, you know, I don't, I don't know all the details yet. They just simply had a little one line statement in there that you could adjust things like the speed of tracking uh, and other factors in terms of the autofocus. And the third thing they've done with the technology here is that they claim that they have added an overlay. Now, and again, this is a big one that I really want to see at NAB next week, where if you have a manual focus lens, they have some sort of a video overlay in the viewfinder where you can assist your focus now how yeah. that's going to work i don't know is we this going to look like yet. one of the old photo screens where you knew you um, were it lined up when the the lines came together i mean that would be kind of cool i don't know 
I don't know. But but again, people are constantly bashing Canon, especially like on the DSLRs, because they don't have the zebras and the the uh, extra tools that many filmmakers have and need in order to help do focusing, right? Yeah. Or exposure or and or, you know, all those other things. So here they are adding something to help you do manual focus. And of course, I've heard bitching, oh, that was not going to suck. Let's see it, first of all. Let's see whether it really works or not. But it's it's cool that they're trying to add that capability. So if you have a manual focus lens, they will help you focus better, which is what we want, right? I mean, if you watch a video or movie and the actor moves out of focus and you're like, God, that focus puller really sucks. Right. I've had experience with so, the C100 upgrade and with the uh, version that's available on the, I believe it's the 70 Mark II. And both of those have a bit of hunting issues. And I know that now with, there was a firmware update after I messed with the C100 that allows some sort of boxing and tracking sort of mechanism. And I haven't used that. Maybe that's a lot better. Uh, I don't know for sure, but especially on the DSLR version of the dual pixel system, it still hunts quite a bit and it kind of doesn't know what it's looking for. You can lock it or turn it off and it'll do okay. But I don't know. Yeah, this might be better. I, I, I hold my reservations on whether or not <laughs> we, it's going to be awesome. Right. We, we all hold off our reservations. I mean, we get really excited about specs, right? But oh, yeah. until you actually see it in implementation. I mean, wasn't it Nikon that first came out and said, well, we've got this brand new autofocus in video on DSLR XYZ. I forgot which one it was. Yeah, wah, wah, it was like, oh, that's going to be so cool. And, and then when you tried it, it was like, ah. So, yeah. Uh, this camera also does, by the way, 444 in 10-bit or 12-bit in full hd which has been something people have been asking for for a long time as well yeah that's pretty nice uh it also has a 2k mode so if you want to go a little bit bigger than uh 1080p i still don't understand 2k to be honest with you okay I if mean, you think about it like, like uh, uhd and then the true 4k which is the 44096 by 2160 basically you're doing the exact same thing so with uh 1080p you're you're sitting at the same resolution only a quarter of uhd when you go to 2K, you're basically sitting at half of 4,096, 2160. So you are a square of that or you're a square of the other UHD version. But but, but it's but I'm sorry to it's a, <laughs> I mean, technically, that's not true. What do you mean? Um, Let me do I, so, I got to get my calculator not... out here now and do some actual math. But, um, but the thing that the thing that gets funny about 1080 it's it's the number changes because 1080 is really 1920 by 1080, right? Yes, that's correct. Okay, what is 2K? 2K is really 2048. Yeah, which is half of 4096. Yes, it's, so it's half of 4096, but it's just a tiny li little bit bigger than 1080 or then full hd yeah it's a because smidge. just it's not it's not double 1080 no no it's just a little bit the sm smidgy bigger and yes it's sort of like uhd and you know quad all that kind of stuff but those tend to be a little bit farther apart than 1080 and 2k well and you're also changing I, I your aspect really ratio as well because uh 1080p 
is is like 1.85 to 1 and 2k is like 1.90 to 1 so you're going from like a half step to a full step i know it's tiny i see you it's making that little tiny pinching thing it's in there but it's the same thing with the 1.85 to 1.9 that's a smidge yeah and it's the same with uhd to full 4k resolution uhd is uh, just slightly smaller, 3840 versus 4096. You're only dealing with a hundred or so pixels difference in size, right. but sure. that's what that's what it is. They're multiples of each other. So 2K is multiple of the true 4K, and UHD is a multiple of 1920 by 1080. Why they do okay. that? I mean, I, I'm sure there's more technical reasons, like some catch that made it easier to do that. But my uh, my understanding was that it was partially title safe issues that ended up bringing in 1920 by 1080 into being to begin with is because they shot in 2k, but then your motion safe and your title safe were just inside of that. As you've seen in the old days where they had the, you know, the tracer lines to tell you where to put your titles and, and how you had overscan and stuff. So maybe that's what's going on here is it's protection for overscan. I, the thing that drives me the most crazy DJ, and I apologize if I jumped on you on that. Oh, no problem. I, I, I have, I have seen so many people say that 2K is so much better than 1080 because it's so much more resolution. And I'm like, no, it's not. I think people think in their heads that 1080, you know, because 2K is twice that, but, but it's because, <laughs> I mean, it, it, the, the numbers really, because they're not thinking properly that, you know, they think 1080, uh, you get my point. I oh think. yeah. It's okay. just, it's not double. Yeah, what ends up happening, and Mitch is absolutely right, people say 1080p. Well, they're like, okay, 2K, that's 2,000. So 2,000 is almost twice as much as 1080. Well, that's not correct. 1080 is the lower uh, pixel count of the 1920. So it's a ratio. It's the height. When they say 2K, they're just shortening it out because 2K is actually, that's the binary count for 2,000. You don't have 2,000, you have... 2k two kilobits which is 2048 so and it's the same with 4k 4k that's a digital representation so it's four uh four thousand ninety six double 2k and you binarily count that out uh 1920 by 1080 doesn't fit into the binary count it fits into the aspect ratio for televisions count (laughs) and so then it's like well okay and that also came from the up resolution of um uh what was it 720 by 480 was what you shot on regular video cameras Back in the old days, and then you take that and you do the math, and that works out to four boxes inside of a 1080p, and 1080p works out to four boxes inside of a 4K image. So, <laughs> right. And as far as being better, you're absolutely right, Mitch. No, there's not that much difference. If you upscale a 1080p image to 2K, you're only taking it up a uh, hundred or so pixels, and most people won't even notice. And even right. people today blow up 720p to 1080p and it's okay and we were talking earlier about 4k getting blown up from 1080p footage those few extra pixels shooting at 2k versus 1080p is not that big of a difference it's not that it's not even a noticeable difference i i, th- I think the, the, now the you got issue me worked up. no good i'm glad to get you all worked up uh the the real confuser confusement with the new word there is the fact that 1080 and 720 and 480 were all vertical measurements. 
right? Yeah. And suddenly, when we started talking about Ks, 2K and 4K, we're talking about the horizontal measure. So it's it's people get confused because the industry switched in the way we quote unquote talk or measure, even though the resolutions are always been X versus Y, right? Width versus height. Yeah. We suddenly switched in our terms from talking about height to width without keeping in the same measure. So that's what really has confused many people, which is why 1080 is not double or tw or half of 2K. Okay, so... Because we're talking left versus right or horizontal versus vertical. Pulling us off of that rant slash tangent here, <laughs> um, going back to the Canon C300 Mark II, uh, one thing I'm I'm wondering about here is we're we're moving over to the way more expensive CFast uh, compact flash that are super fast cards, uh, and this is a ten uh, a maximum four four hundred ten megabit per second Kodak. What does that work out to as far as data rates go? A hundred twenty gig card, you're talking somewhere in the range of what like four hundred bucks, five hundred bucks. So that's maybe yeah. going to get you two hours worth of shooting at four hundred and yeah, probably roughly two hours. I'm just doing some quick numbers in my head here. But at 200 megs a second on the GH4, you get about four hours on 128 gigs. So this would be roughly double that. So now you're talking two hours, 128 gigs. Is, is that going to be feasible for a lot of people as far as data goes? <laughs> yeah, you got me. And and trying to throw those math numbers at, at me is like craziness. Uh, as a, as a side note, I want to back up just for a second because it. I, I just remembered the uh, the XC10 is also CFast, and guess what? They're throwing in like a 16 gig CFast card with that, which was kind of impressive. 16 gig? Uh, okay, maybe it was 64. I don't remember the number. I apologize, and we don't have it in the notes, so I I didn't. But they're they're throwing in a CFast card, uh, so. That's kind of nice that, I mean, I've never seen Canon or anybody throw in a, a compact flash card when you bought the camera. So it's like, really, you take it out of the box and you shoot with it, okay? Yeah, I'm it's looking right cool. now just to get the prices on these uh, new CFast cards. And some brands that I've never heard of, like Wise, a uh, 128 gig card is going to set you back about 600 bucks. So media for both of these is probably going to be, a f I mean... Six hundred dollars. That's that's what about a quarter of the cost of the camera for the XC10, right? So, I mean, that's really pretty expensive. Maybe that's why Canon's throwing it in. Maybe they get some kind of bulk discount by buying the cards, and it makes the camera seem like it's more affordable. Because if this is the price for memory for that, man, owning two cards, you're halfway there to buying another camera. Right. Well, I like I said, and I'm I apologize. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I swear it was a 16 gig card, so it it's probably not one of the big expensive ones like you're talking about. Uh, no, it's a 64 gig CFast two card is included. Well, that's so a, about a three hundred and seventy dollar bonus. So right, maybe this would have been a two thousand dollar camera if they hadn't added the card to it. <laughs> Yeah, because they uppress the price on that, like Apple does, right? Oh, man. Yeah. Um, Today's Apple so, Watch Day. Are you getting one? 
No, I am not getting an <laughs> Apple Watch. I am a watchless man. Oh, no watches on these arms. Good for you. Did you have one, Mitch, or did you get one on pre-order? I have no, I have not. I am actually going to go look at it at the Apple Store. Not today, but some other time. But I'm curious, uh, really curious to see how how it works. But I, I don't have a watch either on my body. My dad used to drive me crazy. My my dad passed almost 20 years ago it was 20 years ago and he used to drive me crazy because he's like where's your watch son i'm like there are clocks everywhere why do i need a a a watch and now with our phones in our pocket i mean that was pre-cell phone right uh with a cell phone in my pocket i don't need to look at my watch uh, my wrist for the time it's right there but anyway (laughs) that's a real sidebar for you yeah, um, one of the things to think about, though, with the watches and stuff, and this has kind of become prevalent with uh, cell phones, is that now a lot of cameras can be controlled via your cell phone. So in the future, when they finally decide to get rid of cell phones altogether and cram them into a watch form factor, you may, in fact, be able to do the get smart and look at your wrist and control your camera from a distance. That might also be cool for drone controls and things like that. As far as the Apple Watch goes, this is brand new technology. No one else is really doing it completely awesome. I don't think Apple's going to nail it right away and we're yeah. going to end up waiting for generation two or generation three before we yep. start seeing stuff that just really rocks our world. Yep. Same here. I, I'm, I'm not jumping out to buy one right off the bat. I'm going to go see how cool it is. I'm afraid that it's going to be so thick that it's going to just drive me crazy. I don't, I'm not looking forward to that. And it, the second thing I don't like especially is the fact that you got to charge it every night with that clunky charger that they've got. So yet another cable for my cats to chew on. Isn't that a proprietary cable as well? Yes. Oh yeah. Absolutely. So a $75, I lost my cable replacement guide. Yep. And you can get the watch in gold for $10,000. Exactly. Uh, That's that. That's my second purchase. All right. Rolling on to this uh, next one here. This one's yours. Mitch, um, Adobe updates uh, Premiere Pro or plans to update Premiere Pro. Tell me a little bit about this. Well, you're catching me off this one because I just saw this this morning. One of my writers, Karen from Australia, sent me this this morning. So I don't know a whole lot about it. Uh, I did glance at one of the demos. Uh, So the... Uh, article that I got said that they're coming out with a lot of new things with the Lumetri color. And I don't know if I'm saying that right. I'm pulling a DJ. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Lumetri color panel, creative cloud libraries will now work with Premiere Pro. This is the one that I saw. A new effect called Morph Cut will be ending the dreaded jump cut. So there's a demo and we I'll include the link. Uh, which was really cool because I typically do jump cuts in the stuff that I do because I don't want to fool with trying to make things look really pretty and stuff. But so if you're talking, doing a talking head interview, for example, and the guy doesn't move a whole lot, this morph cut will interpolate the pixels in between where he was and where he is between the two cuts. And it looks very seamless. The demo was incredibly uh, so is this like a really fancy cross dissolve? Really fancy cross dissolve, yes, because it's like you don't see it. it there is no virtual cut there; it all looks seamless. Obviously, now, I think it's not going to work if you're standing on one side of the frame and then suddenly you're on the other side of the frame. That 
I don't think is going to work. But if you're doing, uh, in their example, is a talking head interview where the guy moves his head slightly and it's seamless in between what used to be cut. So it looks pretty cool. Now, one of the things I want to say about Adobe's demos is that they always look amazing when you see them on stage and you're like, I'm going to use the heck out of this. And one of those examples was the puppet tool and the auto rotoscope tool. Both of those, when you saw those, you were like, this is great. I'm going to just rotoscope the heck out of the shot. Everything will be fine. Then you get to find out that that was the best case scenario for (laughs) the particular item that they're demonstrating. And three quarters of the time, it doesn't perform nearly as good as the demos show it to perform. So keep that in mind when you get really excited about a new Premiere update. They're showing you the best case scenario because they want their product to look awesome. But in reality, Adobe is kind of still working on the item, stuff like that, Um, especially like the rotoscope tool. If you move your hand around, and in this case, I'm on a cheap video camera right here, you can see my hand blurs a little bit. The rotoscope tracking tools weren't good enough to keep up with that sort of thing. So in the demo, you saw these beautiful automatic cutouts and stuff like that. And then in reality, like half the time, you're drawing stuff by hand and working around all kinds of crap. I'm guessing this is the same way where they show you something really awesome and maybe one out of four times it does it. And the other times, maybe not so much, maybe not though. I, you know, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Well, Like I said, in, in this particular case, I think the demo was very appropriate because you're talking about a talking head kind of situation. Maybe he stumbles over his words and then you cut back to, you know, you cut out a segment of what he said. And if you can, eliminate that visual cut it will sound more intelligent Uh, i don't think it's going to be very good for people or or situations where the subject moves radically or like you're saying with a hand movement across there uh that's you know we saw that kind of thing in uh what's that plug-in that you can super slow down stuff oh uh uh, twix Twixer, yeah, Twixer, Twixer, yeah. You know that works really great in some situations. In other situations, it just mangles the heck out of everything, and you go screw that and walk away. So yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be applicable in certain scenarios, and other scenarios, it's just gonna bite. Now, on the other side of the fence, to be positive on Adobe's updates, they with the cloud implementation, I've been seeing Premiere Pro, After Effects updates on a monthly and three-month cycle that's really nice. And there's so many new features that I'm actually having to subscribe to the video updates in order to find out what's being added and play around with the new tools. And I'm talking to other editors and finding out like, what? That's available now? When did when did they add that? Where did this pain come from? Yeah. So it's really nice that there is actually that many new things coming to um, Adobe products. The other thing on this list that you have here, it looks like um, they're adding support a pre-release for the XF AVC codec that's going to be on the C300 and I think on the uh, XC10. So that's nice. Codec support is really good. Uh, also for a new Adobe releases, the new version of Lightroom is coming out here at the end of April, I believe. And so that will add support for the latest range of cameras. But remember, folks, that is 64-bit only. So if you are not on a 64-bit operating system, you are going to be stopped at Lightroom (laughs) 5.7. 
yeah you know they had to move on forward at some point in the future uh yeah. last thing on the list here is let me back the, up if oh, I, if okay. I, is it okay if i go on a tirade go on your tirade now i right. just jump forward at a random interval and i always end up stepping on you so tell me what you got well, it it just drives me crazy. This is Mitch is one of one of my pet peeves, especially true right now with NAB. Uh, I register at NAB as a press uh, professional, which could be debated, but let's not go there. Um, I get inundated with press releases in the last oh, three weeks. Yeah. And it drives me absolutely bonkers because I want to learn about some of these things. But press people who write press releases assume that you know what the hell they're talking about. And it even came, I'll give you an example. One of the companies a couple of years ago put out, um, and God, now I'm not going to come up with the name, a riser for a slider. And I've forgotten what they called it. And I, not being a guy who shoots uh, movies all day, every day, did not understand the purpose for this riser. But everybody was, you know, the press release, oh, this is amazing. And Joe said it's the best thing since sliced pizza. And I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't understand it. And your press release doesn't explain it in terms that I can understand. So a lot of these press releases come out. The ones that really appeal to me are the guys that have a video that go along with it that says, like, and Adobe does this. I'm very pleased with Adobe, even though it's, it's you know, like the morph cut thing that we were just talking about is a best case, possibly. If I read the sentence that says, a new effect called morph cut will be, the, and the dreaded jump cut, I don't, it doesn't sink into me. I'm a very visual guy, and most of us filmmaker kind of people are photographers you know we're visual people show me what the hell you're talking about and explain it in words that a simpleton like me can understand and then i'm going to talk about it if i don't know what it is i'm hitting the damn delete key and i have done that so many times except for the one that i was talking about a few minutes ago that i still haven't gone back and found uh about the uprising thing that one was awesome because they gave me visual samples and i was like ah, i get it now so if well, you're one of those people writing those press releases, make it so Mitch can understand it and you'll get a lot of more credit. Make it rant. short is what <laughs> I want. I'm looking at a Black Magic release uh, email oh, that on. I got this morning and it's it's like 20 paragraphs. And this isn't a new camera. Like I read through the whole thing thinking like, oh, they're releasing a new camera. No, it's an update to the firmware to 2.3. And what they could have done is said, firmware update, here's what it adds, and that's it. At NAB this year, Blackmagic has been bringing uh -huh. forward the technology of – it's like, why are you giving me all this filler stuff when I just need a specs list and the information about whatever it is? Tell me what it is at the beginning. Give me the specs list, and then if you want to fill up the entire press release with a bunch of junk, put that at the end where I don't have to yeah. look at it because – Man, I'm not going to read 20 or 30 paragraphs worth of you bragging about how great, you know, Black Magic's releases have been in the past and quoting 20 people I don't know saying, <laughs> "Yes, this is amazing." Oh, great, yeah. this is amazing. Okay, so what if 
and Joe Smo says is amazing. I've never used it. Like, t- just tell me what it does. Exactly. Tell me what it does. I, I, I admire you so much for saying that. Um, it used to be true at Boeing too. When I was at Boeing, one of the things that they loved, one of the buzzwords was to give the manager the 10,000 foot view right at the beginning of a presentation to get him interested in what he, he could understand. If you're going to do a presentation, give him the overview. Tell him what it's like from looking, looking down on it. What, it, what are you going to give him in this new airplane or this new product or whatever? Get him really excited at the beginning and then go on and give him the details. And that's exactly what you just asked for. You know, well, and I'm going to give a few offenders uh, here. Motion VFX, <laughs> Black Magic, of course. Black Magic. Uh, well, I, I sent them a, an email a couple of weeks ago because they put one of those out that you talked about that went on and on and on. And they explained it in such minute detail. I wrote her back and I said, tell me what this thing does in English, please. Yeah. It's a little bit ridiculous. Um, I, I have 180 press releases in my inbox right now, and I only have a, so much time. Yeah. And as you can see, I am homeless right now, living in a hotel. So I don't really have time to just sit down and read every single press release. I want the Reader's Digest version. I want it fast. I want it easy. Um, one other thing, and bef- before we uh, wrap up the show, I wanted to ask you about it, if you've seen it or not. You know DJI has that adapter now for their cameras that is basically like a full-fledged three-axis stabilizer with the camera all together in one piece. Now, have you seen the hand grip that is in pre-release on b and I haven't seen anybody talking about this yet, but it basically screws onto the bottom of that camera that you can buy separately from the Phantom and allows you to use that camera as a three-axis stabilizer as a handheld full sort of GoPro replacement-esque type of device. And I'm thinking the price is going to be around $599. What do you think about that? I have, I have not seen that. Uh, Go touch it when you're at NEP. Go touch it. <laughs> I, I think there are going to be quite a few of those uh, kind of adaptations. Devices. At NAB, we saw a couple of them last year. Uh, Shape had one that was a little handheld thing, and I think Lettuce actually has one uh, that they have been producing for a while that's a four-axis gimbal kind of thing. Isn't that the one with the um, uh, rubber band on your back? Yeah, no. No, but I've seen those too. Uh, actually, Sebastian from Cinema 5D had one of those last year that had the big, you know, the big uh, arm over his head with the rubber band on it. Oh man, those are a like, little on the goofy side. <laughs> yeah, but if you got to hold one of those cameras for a while, I I think that's cool. But it looks really awesome, uh, not. Um, so I, I've I've seen several, like you said, my inbox is is flooded with all these press releases, and I've been trying to get through some of them. But there are a lot of people who are applying either two axis or three axis stabilization to sliders. Um, Handheld units. Uh, this is this is kind of the thing for NAB this year. I'm not sure what the big thing is going to be, but you'll find out about it on the live blog that will be hosted on DSLR Film Noob right there up there in the menus. If you go to right next to the news, there is the live blog tab. So make sure all of you viewers go out there to the live blog. I'm not going to pump the Planet 5D one because. 
it's on multiple websites. And so DSLR Film Noob is the place to go. Just go there. We've got 30-something reporters that are going to be working on the show floor, giving you the most up-to-date information. You don't have to wait for some guy uh, like some of the film crews that will have two reporters and three audio guys and four cameras, and then they have to ship the film back to the hotel, and the guy edits, edits it overnight, and then you get to see it on Tuesday. We're going to be doing live updates right there from the show floor, especially uh, in 9.30 Pacific time, which is, what, 12.30 Eastern. The very first day is the Black Magic Press Conference. We've got several reporters who are going to be sitting there, including me. Uh, so updates are going to happen first thing Monday. Actually, some people have already started posting because they're starting to show their trip out to NAB. Uh, so if you want to go see that, it's right there in the second tab on DSLR Film Noob's Website, DSLR Film. I'm not used to saying your website. I'm used to saying Planet 5D, so sorry. You can find that <laughs> awesome news coverage that Minch is talking about on a number of websites, including mine and Planet 5D. So check that out anywhere it's available. Uh, they do a great job. They've got tons of reporters working together to create this great stream. And Mitch has worked really great with the community to gather everybody together and get them all to post in one place so they don't have to go to 20 or 30 different places to find it. And this post and blog role is basically available on any website that is working on that with Mitch. So check those out. Those are great. I'm actually going to be reading those because right now I can't make it to <laughs> NAB. I'm missing out this year. I'm actually holding a small Pomeranian in my hand because it's getting antsy. Sitting in hotel room. Um, so that was your pick of the week. Mine is just not being homeless. Let me tell you right now, oh, we sucks. missed out on our home that we were supposed to be moving into because it got bit out at the last minute. And so instead of moving to a location where I have everything ready to go, my stuff is all still in storage and I am living in a hotel for possibly the next two months until I find a place to live. So it is wonderful up here in Vancouver. Thanks guys for buying out my home. You jerks. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's, that's about it really. Um, Mitch, where can people find you? Uh, NABLiveBlog.com is the other place you can go. If you don't want to remember DSLRFilmNoob.com. Uh, I'm at planet 5d and as well, planetmitch.com where I, talk about some of my other projects and as usual guys you can find me over at dslrfilmnoob.com you can find this podcast anywhere podcasts are delivered including soundcloud itunes and so on i apologize dslrfilmnoob.com is not being updated for the next week or so because i am still homeless and still moving and all my gear is in storage i do have a video coming up for that uh ceremonic uh, audio adapter. I'm going to try and knock that out this weekend because I still have that in my possession. Uh, otherwise, I should be back to normal as soon as I find a home in the next week, two weeks. Otherwise, expect headphone podcasts for a little while to come. Thanks again for watching. And Mitch, take us out. This has been the DSLR Film Noob podcast episode number something 21, I believe. 21. Thanks for being here.